Hi everybody, welcome to Video Fright, where we go back to 1980 and on to whenever we decide we're sick of this shit. <laughs> we pick the movies uh, in that genre. Not all of them have to be horror, but they have to have some sort of fear, thrill element to them. And uh, so we go through the list of what was released that year and what's noteworthy and that we haven't already covered. So we're not going to be covering Friday the 13th because we did that over on Trash Cinema. I don't really want to double dip. Do you? Uh, nah, I mean, we've pretty much made our, our opinions clear on those episodes. So if you more really want uh, to hear some of those more popular ones, we've probably already covered it, so you can check it out there. Yeah, so this is kind of like finding some of the lost ones, the ones we haven't got to yet, and some that we didn't think belonged in trash cinema. I mean, The Fog, is, which is going to be our first one on this episode, uh, is not trash. It's one that didn't go well in production um, and barely was saved. But it, it's not a grindhouse. It's not a trashy movie. It's actually pretty classy for this era of horror movies. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Cause this is actually my second attempt to watch it. The first time, I just wasn't really connecting with me. And I think that's because I tried watching it when I was much younger. Probably, I don't know, 10th grade, I want to say. Um, kind of the time when I first really like started getting into John Carpenter movies. <clears throat> and it was a little kind of it's a little slower uh than a lot of his other work um but i really this time around i really did appreciate its pace uh, and i overall thought it was an excellent movie yeah he he started off i think well for, for a decade or so it was pretty straightforward classy films i mean yes there's the weird anomaly of uh well, I still think uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is still somewhat classy considering what kind of film it is. But if you look at Halloween, there's no blood in it. It sits the camera back. It doesn't get into the, the death scenes too much. Uh, the Fog was originally intended to be a classy throwback kind of horror movie, but Avco Embassy decided to make him go back and do reshoots where they added a lot of gore into it. And it's I think to me now that I know about it, I can see it. I can see where those shots are different. Oh, absolutely. Like, the, the close-up shots of people getting stabbed is definitely post. Yeah, it looks like they were shot in a uh, garage, and they just, like, threw up some dark, yes. you know, tarp or something, some fog, and then just did it really quickly. Yeah, uh, I mean, but even despite some of those scenes that are very obviously reshoots, it, it, I don't think it really hampers it at all. I, I do think that maybe at the time those were a little more visceral or trashy however you want to put it um but i mean compared to our second movie we're going to talk about which is maniac that's really <laughs> in comparison yeah it's uh there's another movie that came out i think it's the next year is dead and buried which we're going to watch um where they made him do the same thing he wanted to be kind of a classy atmospheric movie set on the coast and the producers got nervous. I think it was the same company, Avco Embassy. And they made him go back and reshoot special effects. And that one, it's completely obvious. And the special effects look like shit because they're done at the last second. And uh, at least with The Fog, you can tell it was inserts. But you're right. It doesn't change the tone. It doesn't look wildly out of place. Yeah. And those scenes are not like overly gory to the point of just being absurd. I right. Think. Uh, especially the first uh, person... Uh, who got killed? Um, I can't remember his name, but he was wearing kind of like the lumberjack outfit. Uh, some of those shots of the knives going into him were actually like really intense because it was because so, the tone was so much more subdued. Uh-huh. It was very quiet, more atmospheric. So like when it did hit, it hit so much harder because I did not expect it to be like that violent. So I actually kind of worked in, in its favor. 
Yeah, a lot of people really hate the remake. I'm not going to say it's good, but um, it's certainly more visceral, but it ditches the atmosphere. And I think that what they were trying to do is just like up the stakes. And that's the problem with a lot of the horror remakes is what made them so classic is because they were of that moment. But when you take that plot and you're like, well, everybody needs this much faster editing and, and CGI and stuff like that, it loses something in the translation. Yeah, and this movie is definitely atmospheric, and it's something that, like, it does not translate into a thrill-a-minute action ride. I mean, this is a very, very slow, deliberately so uh, kind of movie. Yeah, it's, uh, the very first time I had seen this, it was played Halloween night on TNT, and they set it up so that uh, it started, like, at 11.52, so when it said, that, you know, at midnight and the glass starts breaking, everything goes crazy, they timed it perfectly so that when it was midnight in the movie, it was midnight in the real world. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's, they had to just like, like <sighs> we got to be perfect on this. No commercials, we got to go. And I remember that just creeped the shit out of me the first time. And I absolutely love this. This is when I really started getting into John Carpenter. I had seen a couple, but I didn't really know what he had made until my freshman year of college and that's when I started renting all of his movies in the fog I just was lucky to catch on TV that's really cool um, yeah I mean this is kind of the problem with doing uh, video Fridays we're talking about stuff we like Like, it's not as <laughs> there's not as much to, to say because it's not just us bitching about something I mean it's, it's genuinely a great movie um, if you're not really into slow atmospheric this is not going to be for you and you know some of the special effects especially of like the uh the fog uh looks kind of stupid the glowy fog coming in um so if you're not into it you know you're not going to be into it but it's it is it is honestly a good movie yeah it's uh the things i want to make note of real quick is that tommy atkins this is basically his introduction into the genre after this he would do halloween 3 and night of the creeps um Mm -hmm. We have, I think, very first time I've ever seen gimmick casting where they... It's, it's a common thing once it like the whole revival of the 90s happened where everything was kind of like tongue-in-cheek and looking back at the genre. But I feel like it, this was the first time I said, hey, let's, we already have Jamie Lee Curtis. Let's go grab her mom because she's famous for this slasher. Like That seemed like the first time I'd ever seen a gimmick casting in a horror film. Oh, I don't even know which character we're talking about. Uh, so the lady that's uh, basically running the town, like setting up the whole town event, the older lady, that's uh, uh, Janet Lee, who is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Oh, you mean the one that goes to and talks to the preacher who... Right, like, like, yeah. Dracula? Um, Hal, <laughs> that guy, the, the preacher is Hal Holbrook, who was later in Creepshow, but uh, I know him because my professor never stopped talking about him because he used to do the makeup effects... For him on his uh, road show that he did for decades of Mark Twain. So I definitely know how Hulk. Oh. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, and and um, uh, on that show. We... What's that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, on that show is uh, one of the cast members' very first jobs was Val Kilmer, and Val Kilmer was so enamored with Hal Holbrook playing Mark Twain that he has now taken over. Well, before his voice went, he did a ton of performances as Mark Twain uh, in the last ten years. I get, yeah, um, there was talk really briefly about that moment uh, when they were first introduced to the preacher. I had to rewind like five times because I'm not entirely sure what was happening. Are we because talking about when John Carpenter sure. is the janitor and he comes in? 
He's a terrible actor, by the way. No, no. no. <laughs> well, yeah, no shit. Uh, but no, the the preacher just kind of like comes out of the darkness to surprise that lady. Um, if you're watching this, please like pay attention to that scene specifically because I can't tell if he's getting up out of a chair or if they have like the um, uh, that nose to kind of like bed leaning him up and he's like like out of, coming out of the darkness. It's really weird and off putting and also pretty funny to be honest. I have to see. I never noticed that before. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I never noticed. I thought he was just coming out of a chair, but maybe, maybe they had some sort of subconscious, like ah, evil jump scare. Well, yeah. Well, because it, it sounds, it kind of has like a creaking, like he's getting out of a chair, but like. Sorry, I had a weird thing. My my program kind of stopped, but recorded everything. I got scared for a second. I thought I was going to have to pause and have to repeat that last line. <laughs> um, Oh. Uh, it's all right. Uh, the only thing I want to say also is, if it hadn't been for this movie, I don't think that John Carpenter would have worked with Rob Bottin on the legendary The Thing. Who knew that these cheap little pirate costumes with hardly any special effects, you know, and then two years later, he's, like, changing the level of how much special effects you can bring to the screen. Yeah, that's another thing, because, like, I had recently just watched uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, which is like a... HBO show. It's yeah. uh, hot garbage. It's hot garbage, to be honest. Um, I hate it, but that's neither here nor there. But like that movie, like that series, that that show uh, is very much like creature feature focused. Okay. And what I really and it's it doesn't do it subtly or interesting in any way at all. And so what I really liked about or it was a breath of fresh air watching this because the creatures are very are like you know, ghosts. However you want to interpret what they are are uh much more subtle they don't scream make loud noise uh do any kind of hokey thing they just kind of stand there menacingly in the dark and uh when their uh, eyes glow and it's just so much more interesting and creepy yeah i think anything the more visceral it is i think it takes away from it that's that's the hallmark of this era of horror movies is a lot of it was just like uh atmospheric you just like the fact that Michael Myers just stands there looking through those uh, drapes or like when he's standing next to the bush and that's it he's not saying anything he's not moving really and you're just like what the fuck he just well, why is he still staring at me this is making me really upset <laughs> that kind of stuff is cool yeah and it, it's done really well here and uh, the only other thing I'd say was uh, there's a final sequence where Adrian Barbeau bot um, is climbing up to the top of the lighthouse and there you have this thing where my, John Carpenter is just holding down one key. That is the only part of the movie I can't stand is he's just holding it. And it goes on forever like a fucking car horn. And it drove me insane. So if that gets on your nerves, I would say mute it during this action sequence. <laughs> yeah, I see. I don't even really remember that. I think I, I kind of checked out during that scene. I don't know. It just wasn't holding my attention for some reason i think it was i think i was more confused as to what was happening because it looked like one of the creatures like sliced her neck like with, with the with the blade yeah i think it just went and to her I shoulder thought, oh sh- yeah. oh shit she's she's dead and then it like cuts and it like there's no blood there's nothing and she doesn't look like she got hurt so i was like wait what's happening and so it's kind of looking for something tell me what just happened and i think that's why i didn't notice yeah it's so funny looking at horror movies now which are shot on digital they can capture night better 
So horror movies back in yes. this era, it was either murky and you couldn't see what was going on very well, or they overly lit it. Like day for night kind of bullshit. It's that so where it's really obvious what's going on, but it also is unconvincing that it's night. Or you could be like um, Fistful of Dollars and just shade the entire picture blue to make it look <laughs> like it's nighttime, but it's very obvious it's day. Yeah. Do you remember Hell Night with Linda Blair, where at the end you can clearly see the spotlight in the background and no one lights it? N- n- nothing's lit like that. <laughs> it's just not possible. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah, the whole final sequence in the outside of the castle she's trying to escape, you can clearly see there's a giant spotlight that's not natural in any way whatsoever just to keep the scene lit. Oh, did we talk... Yeah, did we talk about that one in, uh, uh, in, the other, in one of our podcasts? Yeah, it was, I think, last summer or maybe early this Blair, year we did so a Linda right. Blair triple feature. Okay, yeah, now I remember that. All right, so that is The Fog. I say definite recommend. Um, the next one, you're going to have Absolutely. to have a stomach for. You're going to have to have... I, I held off on this, and if you hadn't, we hadn't talked about it, I don't think I would have watched it. But it's actually pretty good, even though it's insanely trashy. Yeah, this one definitely belongs in the trash cinema category. I just thought it was interesting, and that the fact that we hadn't covered it, I thought was something that we should now because I really I would like to talk about it. I think that it is a really interesting different kind of take on a serial killer movie which most at the time are just about like the good versus evil, the the chaste survivor versus the debauched serial killer and it was interesting to look at the other perspective um, which at this you know nowadays is not so unique um, but back then certainly it was and it kind of paved the way for a lot of more modern horror films and it's even been remade a few times so there's there's like there's kind of a bone like a structure that this movie has that i think is really interesting and done really well um but i think it's kind of perfected by uh henry portrait of the serial killer which Which i have not seen but we'll definitely we'll definitely tackle that one down the road oh yeah it's 86 when we get there we gotta talk about that yeah, this one is unique because what we had with villains is either it wasn't from their perspective, uh, it was from the hero's perspective, and they were usually masked, or they were silent, or they were, um, I don't want to say... No backstory. Uh, well, no, they had like like the hillbilly, Mon- is it Mongolia, that's offensive, isn't it? That's usually the word they used back then, but that's not the word I want to use. But, uh, you know, it's like in- inbred, like mutant kind of creature. Yeah. So this is just a dude, just a dude with no mask, he talks, he has a life, and it's from his perspective, and it's just so strange to see it this way. Yeah, I, I, it is really... I like Again, this has kind of been done to death now, I mean, like, especially with like Red Dragon or Manhunter. kind of has like the same idea, and those ones probably did it better. But, I, I, again, I, I think that this is kind of like the beginning of that style of movie, where you really try to get into the mind of someone like that and I really like that he has it's it's not just he kills for fun he doesn't get joy out of it in fact it's like he's almost in pain when he when he does it but it's kind of like this need that he has but he also has like this kind of weird desire almost to be noticed it's almost it's almost art in a weird way or it's like a way of of preserving certain moments yeah, it's, it's he's expressing kind of really himself. To hear I so could you explain to me? So is he? I must have missed this. So he has the um, uh, d- 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 what are they called? The when the the models, the dis- dummies, the fake ones. Are they called again? Mannequins. 
Um, I can't believe yeah, I forgot man. that word. Mannequins, but then he takes the scalp and he puts them on there. Why? Did they explain that and I missed it? I don't think they did. Uh, and, and again, it's one of those things that's kind of interesting about it where nothing is really, ex- like, well, some things are explicitly said, but a lot of things are not really explained in total detail. Uh, you kind of just kind of have to understand who he is to kind of get a picture of what's happening. It seems like he, again, the idea of, of preserving, because he was talking to that one person who uh, takes photos of models, um, and they have that conversation about, like, why do you take pictures? You know, like, what are you doing? Because, like, the, the model itself is is beautiful. Why do you have to take a picture of it? Why don't you just enjoy the model itself? And it's like, well, this is about preserving a moment, or it's about honoring a moment. Like, there's kind of that conversation they had. So it seems like he's, like, taking, like, a part of them and putting it on a mannequin, because a mannequin will last forever kind of thing. I don't know. It, it was... You kind of just have to kind of make up your own story. Yeah, I guess if you know too much, that takes away the fear factor. But, um, so, I, yeah, for some reason I thought it was art to him. Like, he was expressing his pain through the art of killing, and then he just put his art on display. Like, that was his gallery. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. And it, uh, they also comes, it, it comes back and kills him in the end. But, um, so, so there is kind of a thematic um, sort of plot so there's something thematic about that too yeah and having Joe Spinell who was a character actor in a lot of exploitation movies I think the biggest thing he was in was Rocky but having him play the lead and he looks like a big sweaty toe and I believe that he could be this fucking nasty yeah uh, try to it, it, um, god what was that movie that came out recently um, on Netflix uh, where someone was playing Ted Bundy, and they used, like, Zac Efron. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. He's, like, this attractive, hot guy. This this killer is not attractive at all, and he's very weird and off-putting, and most people looking at him be like, eh, I think I'm going to go across the street. <laughs> so I, I like that. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of like that. that. Not only do, like, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. But I really appreciate because, like, movies where it's an attractive person, um, it's like, why are they, like, socially awkward? Or how come they're not, like, well um, socialized into modern into society uh, when they look that way? Because there's, like, a lot of benefits they would get socially. Um, so that is always, like, something that's bothered me whenever there are movies with, like, really attractive serial killers, like Ray Fiennes and Red Dragon. Yeah. Like, that kind of shit. So they have to like use some other kind of explanation, of like why. being a sociopath really or something work. like that, some sort of backstory where he was crazy. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like the idea of not only is he that way because of past trauma, but also because he just can't really be socialized properly. It actually reminded me a lot of Bad Boy Bubby. Oh yeah, I can see that. But Bad Boy Bubby thankfully went in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, that one went in a much better direction. <laughs> But it uh, it has that grease to it, that late 70s, early 80s, New York, you know, Times Square grease that I love looking at. All the neon and the porno yes. strips and the hookers on the, uh, you know, on the uh, street trying to get a, a, their fix and stuff like that. And that's the kind of thing that's fascinating. Thank God it's not really like that anymore from what I hear. Um, but it's always cool they captured that on film for us to see. Yeah, uh, movies like this are really a time capsule. I mean, it, obviously, this is a much... Uh, <laughs> this is kind of 
more like a hyper realistic version of what it was like that time period but I think that it, there is something just so enjoyable about depictions of New York like that I don't know I just I just love watching movies like this and it uh, it does get wet. Uh, Tom Savini comes and he shows he's ready to play. He he not only does he play a really cool role where he gets his head blown up and it's so disgusting, but he's there just to test the limits of what he can get away with the special effects. There's no way a studio ever would have handled this. this is clearly a independent grindhouse film. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, couple things. Yeah, it is extremely gory and pretty disturbing. So people who aren't into that, you're not going to like this. But um, I do think there is a solid story here that I think is that it's kind of it's been done better uh, in other films, but this is a really good one uh, that kind of like sets um, this kind of story. Um, so I, I, I really like it. Uh, oh, one other problem I had with it is that the, <laughs> the most of the movie for the first like hour is basically just a montage of him killing people. And it's not really until the last half hour that he actually like talks to another person, like a human being, and has an actual conversation so you get like, an idea of who this person is and the character. And I think that was done intentionally to try to like build up, like, why am I watching this? This person's horrible. And then you're like, oh, okay, I guess I can kind of see what, what's happening and what's wrong with him. Right. But I think they could have like, set that stage much sooner. Did uh, you ever see the remake with Elijah Wood? Uh, I tried. I just was not into it. I, I heard that halfway through production, they changed how they were going to film. It was all from first person, like you're playing a video game. And uh, then oh, halfway yeah. through, they changed their mind because the producers weren't happy, so they switched it around to third person. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to see that. Well, you know, like if you get a guy like Elijah Wood, like why would you not show his face? Also, I'm not sure I would believe that he would be this kind of killer. That's the thing about Joe Spinell is that he looks like he's a sleazy, socially inept uh, acts out in rage. I just not buying it with Elijah Wood for Pete's sake. Yeah, I like Elijah. I like that he's taking some pretty weird roles. I mean, I just I just watched uh, Come to Daddy, and I was like, we gotta talk about this one when we get. I have it. I uh, just I just picked it up. Uh, they had a, like a three for ten sale on Lionsgate Movies, and I picked that up. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I do like a lot of his uh, weirder more violent roles but I yeah Maniac is not something for him yeah it's uh well now he's a really uh known producer in that field like doing low budget but really smart horror films yeah and he's all the better for it yep alright so uh we're gonna take a commercial break here and come back with some more movies alright okay so our next movie is 1980's classic Stanley Kubrick's The Shining which is funny because yep. it's one of the only times where it's not credited to Stephen King. It's Kubrick. For good reason. I know that most people have already made that observation, um, that the book is not at all similar to the movie. I have read the book. I have and... not. Okay. Yeah, they are very different. The, uh, the Stephen King's version that was like the, the mini the miniseries. Right, yeah, yeah. Which god-awful. You, you don't like it? Actually... I love it. I prefer the miniseries. Are you serious? No, I, I'm yeah. serious because, uh, and we'll discuss why I have problems with this movie compared to the other one. Yes, it's cheaper, but I believe it more. And I, I, I have problems with this one, believing Jack Nicholson's turn. 
I was going to say, yeah, the one thing that I, I I do think that the miniseries had going for it is that the dad character was much was much more developed. Uh, so I I do think I can understand people thinking that that element is better, but I I actually do like Jack Nicholson's version. I think that because most of what's happening is like all in his head, and we don't get to see what's happening, uh-huh. it kind of makes it creepier. That there's this there's this element of mystery that doesn't really reveal itself we, until like the final act when yeah. we start to see the ghosts. We see what he sees, and we're like, oh, this has been happening to him since he got here, and he's just been like holding back this whole time. Okay, I don't know, something see, about it. Like, for me, this is only the second time I've seen it, and I saw the miniseries first. That's the problem, hmm. I think. I mean, no, you're not alone in that opinion. I have heard other people uh, say that they they like the miniseries. Better. Yeah. Well, it's also about hype. Because if you talk about a horror movie way too much and say it's the greatest thing ever and I see it, I'm like, it's okay. And then it would just downgrade my brain because Exorcist, to me, I thought was boring. I, I just like, I don't know what the big deal is. I kind of felt that way with The Shining. When someone hypes it up so much and you watch it, you're like, eh, yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's definitely happened to me a bunch of times. I think Marvel movies are especially like that for me. Yeah, like that is all about movie That is like one hundred percent. Everybody hype. says like, "Oh, the latest Marvel movie is the best they've ever done. It's so great." And then I watch it like, "It's fine." Yeah. So, well, a lot of time you need to take a breather. You need to step away from the hype and check it later. Like, yeah. I don't. I think Captain Marvel and Black Panther are on the weaker end of the Marvel movies, and it has nothing, yeah. nothing to do with oh, it's a black hero or uh, a woman hero. Nothing. It's just the fact that I was like, oh, they're okay. They're a little messy." Yeah, I mean, it has the same writing problems as pretty much all of them, and I don't particularly care for any of them. So, I mean, like, I think probably we're so we're talking about Marvel. We'll go back I to yeah, we'll get the Shining in a second. Just very quickly, uh, I think Guardians was great, and I don't particularly care for any other one. Oh, you don't like the Captain uh, America? See, I'm big on the Captain America because of the espionage, mm-hmm. like political thriller stuff, elements to it. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I do like the Winter Soldier. I, I do think. I, I like the whole world-building storytelling that hasn't really been done before, but like once that sort of element it starts to, it, you know, once the, once the shiny veneer of that kind of wears off and you watch the movies as movies, yeah. they're not that good. Well, that's that's the problem I think they're trying to do now with Stephen King. Everybody wants a mixed universe. Isn't there a new show like on Hulu? Uh, what the hell is it called? A like Castle Rock, I think it's called, where they're trying to combine all the elements of the Stephen King universe. I've never seen it. I, that's what I was actually afraid it was going to be. So now I, and I'm definitely not going to check it out. Yeah, but um, I, what I will say though is, of course, Kubrick has an eye that Mick Garris, as nice and, and, and a decent director he is, is nowhere nearly the same. There's stuff he is working on, this depth of field with everything that he's working on. I think the only problem is is that he forgets a lot of the human element in his movies. Like, uh, Full Metal Jacket is worshipped, and I ju- it just is cold. It's disconnected, and I'll take Platoon any day. Yeah, I actually, I, I think that's one of his worst. I, what is, okay, so I recently just watched uh, Apocalypse Now for probably the 30th time. Oh, really? I've only and ever seen it once, time- I think. Oh, I, every time I see it, I, I love it even more. It's just, it's such a good movie. It's it's so rare to see a military movie that's so unflinchingly critical of the military in a yeah. way that movies like Full Metal Jacket are supposed to be, but they're really not. Like, there's never any 
criticism like, oh, the only thing that they really, like they never talk about war crimes or anything like that, the only thing that they did that was bad was that they had to shoot a woman that killed, that was shooting at them first. And right. they felt bad about it. Like, fuck you. Come on. Like, well, what, present, the like, difference between the two... being this brutal thing and it's just so sanitized. The irony of the two is that Francis Ford Coppola seems to be extroverted where the movie seems to be introverted. All those emotional things that he's going through are in his head, whereas... Full Metal Jacket seems to be... I, I don't know anything about Kubrick, really. But he seems to be an internal guy, and everything in Full Metal Jacket is in your fucking face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that's... With, with The Shining, is interesting, though, because he he internalizes a lot of it. And maybe maybe I'm just... I need to see it more because it felt more ambiguous. And that's the point, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's I think, why this movie has such a following that it does. There are tons of people who have been analyzing this movie forever and have so many different conclusions that it comes to the Minotaur and the maze, the moon landing shit. There's like, there's so many like things that people try to pull or take from this movie that I think that's why it has so much hype that it just kind of means whatever you think it means. And that's partly why I like it because when I watch it, I can see something different or I can see a different perspective. So a movie that I think ages well because I can come at it from a new perspective when I watch it. Yeah, for and a part of it also, I think the problem is I already knew Jack Nicholson from so many movies as a crazy person. So when he turned, I was like, "Whoop de doo!" I knew it was coming. It, and yes, he did like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but before that, he was just like kind of like an eccentric actor, but he wasn't crazy and evil. So he only had one flew over the cuckoo. He wasn't evil in that either. I forgot. So basically, The Shining is the first time where he was really wicked. But I, after that, I had seen like you know Witches of Eastwick and Batman and Wolf and all this other stuff. So it didn't seem like much of a surprise to me, whereas Stephen Weber is like this schmucky sitcom actor who takes a turn. And, and I think that's what drove me more into the miniseries than, than the movie. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But um, when you said that he again, had it, that he kept it a secret, that he was already crazy before he got there, I never even thought about that. So that actually changes things for me. Well, I didn't mean that like he's crazy before he got there, just like the... The, the shit that he had, that we see near the end of the movie is like the shit that he had been seeing as soon as he got there, but like, you know, couldn't tell anybody or like couldn't really, um, couldn't explain to somebody because he, you know, was going insane or people think he's crazy or he's lost it and yeah. he's trying to hold on to this job. And so I think that there's kind of this element of play of um, kind of not sure of what's happening to him um, as you're watching and then kind of the big reveal when he's ordering that drink at the bar and be like, oh shit. Because like, cause his attitude when talking to the bartender was like so casual when he introduced him. Or like when he talked to him, was right. like, oh, he's probably been seeing him this whole time. This is the first time he's just acknowledged it. That's... Well, I guess they kind of leak a little bit of that idea earlier because they talk about how he broke Danny's arm when he was drunk and that he was trying to fight it off. And take this job, whatever, and save his family, not realizing that... Not, nobody who's a fan of this movie is going to be surprised. This is more about me and my understanding of this film. Um, so it just took advantage of his weakness and then just escalated it. Yeah, and of course in Stephen King style, I mean, most of what he does is he uses horror as an analogy for something else. And this movie, I think more than likely is intended to be sort of a, a metaphor for alcoholism. Well, it wasn't he suffering at the time he was an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic and the movie was or the the book was a way of him dealing with what he did to his son and his wife. 
I mean, that's totally possible. I, I don't really, I don't know any uh, of uh, what King was going through when he wrote the book. I just yeah. know, I just know, because I read the book yeah. uh, versus the movie, that alcoholism played a much bigger role in, in the book than, than uh, Stephen King's Shining. Well, and or, um, Kubrick's Shining. Well, and it's so interesting is that in the 80s, he was coked up. So if he was replacing one addiction for oh, the other, yeah. that didn't help <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, so either way, there, there's yeah. We can, I guess we've kind of just been talking more about like our interpretations of it. Um, I guess. Well, I mean, sometimes when you just talk about a movie, it's it's been done. This is the kind of movie that's been examined and reexamined. There's documentaries on it, so it's kind of hard to say anything yeah. new. But I, I think what I really was interested in is I love Doctor Sleep. That was my favorite movie of last year. I was blown was away good. by it. And I didn't know that Mike Flanagan, who is quickly becoming my favorite new director, um, took elements from Kubrick's film and the book and tried to meld them together so that he didn't confuse or lose the audience who had ever, only ever read the book or only ever had seen the original movie. You know, one thing I, I really appreciated about um, Dr. Sleep is that they didn't use CGI replicas of, of older actors. I... Fucking love it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, they had Henry they, Thomas they had come in it. and play his dad, and and you see it. I, I never saw it before. I thought that was a crazy idea, but then when I went back and watched The Shining, there's certain places where I'm like, oh, I can see why they thought Henry Thomas would be perfect for this. Yeah, and everyone who had to play the the other actor from the '80s movie had to sell it by their actual acting. They had to really pick up on how the other how um how the other movie worked and um their how the character moved and talked, and it was it was just it was seamless. Yeah, I mean, and I would prefer face, that. I mean, in the face, in the face, you could tell they're not the same, but like their voice and their uh, mannerisms were just spot on. Right, and I'll say this: uh, watching Doctor Sleep, I understand where Danny was coming from. Like the whole evolution from him in The Shining to Doctor Sleep, I believe the boy in the movie, the Kubrick's film, um, becomes Ewan McGregor. That kid is the fucking worst in that miniseries. That kid is intolerable. He's got one of these things where he's got the cute teeth where they stick out. And he's like, what is wrong, mommy? And I'm like, no. This is kid is terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's another thing uh, that Dr. really well. Ewan McGregor was amazing. And I know that people liked the movie at the time. I skipped it because I was like, it kind of looks meh to me. I'm, I'm kind of surprised this didn't take off in any sort of way. It's like Ewan McGregor's curse. He'll get he got that boom yeah. from uh, what's that Winnie the Pooh movie he was in? Uh, Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. All of a sudden, everybody remembered Ewan McGregor. And of course, he was great in that second season of Fargo. So or third season, I can't remember. But um, and all of a sudden, he got like Birds of Prey, and that tanked. Uh, and Doctor Sleep tanked. There's something he was else. So good in it, though. Yeah, and it's I just. Really like Birds of Prey. But I get the feeling this is going to be like The Mist or Silver Bullet or some of the other Stephen King. Not all the Stephen King classics did well in the theater. A lot of them tanked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think it's because there's I mean, too much of it? It's always these huge bursts of Stephen King, and some of it, the quality is just not there. Yeah, I think the constant inconsistent qual- uh, quality is kind of what turns people off. I think people really like his stories. I certainly do because I think he's. I, I, I know people kind of think he's. A, I actually think he's a really good writer. I think he takes these elements of life that are complex and are 
interesting and creates horror out of them that are actually pretty brilliant. I think it is fantastic. It's, I mean, that movie or movie book, whatever, is all about the the horror of growing up, it's yeah. about puberty. Well, yeah, that's and, the thing is he always starts off with the emotional. So well. He always starts off with the emotional and takes yeah. that emotion and drives it into the plot. Yeah, he also has this really good. It's really simple, and it, once you notice this pattern, it, it's so obvious, but it's just, it's brilliant, and it always works. I would just watch The Outsider uh, recently, Stephen King's uh, HBO series. Oh, it's but, a show, okay. But it, yeah. Um, it's like an eight-part miniseries, but it's excellent. Um, anyway, the, the formula always goes, you start uh, the story, place of enormity. Everyone is kind of where they would be and the story is very plain, you know, in The Shining, it's just a man who's in, you know, struggling with recovery is given access to, or like a job that he really needs, where he can also work on his writing. Like, there, there's a human element to it. Right. And then it well, slowly introduces the supernatural. The one that they never get right, it drives me nuts, is Pet Cemetery. Um, but it's all about a new life that ends up being new death. It's the whole thing is just what's supposed to be a, the, a, a beginning is actually the end. Yeah, sorry, Denise Crosby. I, I you know, it. <laughs> you were great in, in the first season of Star Trek, and you thought that your career would go well, but yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, and we'll we'll eventually get to Pet Cemetery, but yeah, uh, for me, I, I'm going to revisit this one. This one feels like it's uh, I'm decrypting it for myself emotionally. And that's how I view a lot of movies. I'm not like a normal film critic. I don't take film... I mean, there is technical aspects I, I appreciate, but I'm more interested in the emotional ride. Mm -hmm. But, um... Yeah, I I would... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, there's a delay again, damn. But um, I'm going to say this. Prom night, oh, okay. no emotional ride whatsoever. This <laughs> is pure just trash. <laughs> I can't believe that these movies come from the same year. It's so the the difference is so stark. Well, look at the budget though. One would cost like one and a half million Absolutely. Canadian film. The other one is like high art, fifteen million dollar studio film. But I mean, even then, there are certain movies that are low budget that have a, a certain quality to them that are timeless, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's I true, mean, and Halloween. Good. Yeah, I mean, they're not, like, the greatest movies out there. They're dirt cheap, but they, they have something, like, this element to it that is so unique and interesting that it can last, and it can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with big-budget movies like The Shining. But yeah, this I one... Mean, it made, I think, like, $14 million. So, I mean, it still made bank for a cheapo film. And this is when there's a lot of slashers. We're overwhelmingly filled with slashers 1980 to, like, 1983. And this is one of the films that was, you know, it broke through. And I would only bring it up because this is normally trash cinema kind of stuff. But it launched a franchise that I think gets better. Um, the first one is kind of a doll by the numbers Agatha Christie slasher, which was kind of typical at the time. But if it wasn't for Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, I would say this movie is complete shit. Um, I mean, I like Jamie Lee Curtis, and I would say this movie is complete shit. Yeah, I mean, she, the only and her character's pointless and stupid, but her emotional turn when when she finds out it, it's very little. To uh, if you like disco, you're fucking made in the shade. <laughs> if you like band, uh, yeah, bands, oh my god, <laughs> like a big froze, curly froze. 
If you want a, an even shittier version of Saturday Night Fever, this is your movie. Yes, it, clearly that had to have been influenced. Someone just came into the office and said, hey, you know how you have this Canadian tax credit? Well, um, Saturday Night Fever meets Halloween. They're like, fucking sold. We're sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so th- this movie is just the most predictable thing you've ever seen. As yeah. soon as the movie opens, I was like, I know the exact plot, and it, it went exactly as I thought it would, so... And it's, yeah, it's not going to surprise or interest you. But, uh, yes, Halloween technically did it first, but it was part of that big trend where every horror movie seemed to have a, sto- a flashback at the beginning, you know, just to set it up, mm-hmm. which they stole so many times. Like, Valentine, we did, what, last year? Um, it feels very similar to the way that Valentine started, or uh, the prom night started. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's a movie that's not going to blow your socks off. There's nothing particularly unique or interesting about it. Um, I'm just trying to, Oh, yeah, it opens with the worst child actor you've ever seen. So, <laughs> Killer's going to get you. Killer's going to get you. Killer, killer. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's the weakest of the Jamie Lee Curtis slashers, and uh, it's very strange seeing Leslie Nielsen before he became a comedic actor and... What fog filter are they using in Canada? What the fuck is that? It looks all look like a dream. Yeah, what what can you really say about it? Like, I I, I want to talk about it more, but like I can't. No, it, I I don't know what I was like, making a mistake here, but it's because I know that Prom Night two and three are fucking awesome, and I, I really want to discuss them later. Yeah, we, so I thought let's was, talk more about that. Yeah, we'll we'll get to those. But, uh, yeah, Prom Night is just your typical Agatha Christie-influenced slasher, and it's got a guy in a ski mask. It's not even that even... Like, there was a gimmick. There's always a gimmick with a ski mask, or with a, with a mask over the face, or some sort of costume that would block the view of their face. And I'm like, ski mask is so cheap. It's such a low-rent idea. Yeah, um... It's gotta be something I mean, different. even... Even Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, where he just had a burlap sack on his face. Yeah, but that's that's creepy. There's something weird and off, off-putting about that. Yeah, because they decided just to put the one eye hole, which makes it more feel more realistic. Where it's rugged, where it's like, I just want to kill people. I need to see how this thing. Like, like it, that was just like the only thought he had in his head. So that made it better. Yeah. Were, like the ski mask is lazy. There's yeah. Nothing interesting. About okay, it. I, I feel like I made a mistake. Yeah, because Prom Night, I have nothing to discuss. Even the kills are boring. They're so fucking boring. There's hardly any blood. I don't know if it's a Canadian thing going on or what, but it's. Some people say it's a it's a, a necessary uh, watch of this genre, and I'm gonna say no, nope. No, not at all. Okay, so uh, the I hmm? only thing I really did notice was probably the fight choreography at the end. It seems like. I really wanted to make like they really, trying, I, you know, which made it kind of worse. It just felt bad because yeah. it was executed so poorly. But it looks like they really tried to make something look cool. But it was so obvious that like it, I kind of I in a weird way it made me think the axe might be real <laughs> from like how slowly they were moving it. Oh yeah, axes weigh a ton. People don't see it. A lot of people don't know that axes because we we sell them at our store and I have to lift them all the time and I'm like, God damn, this thing is heavy considering yeah but what i'm what i'm saying is like i i i don't know i think that axe might have been real i think it made me believe it only because everyone was being extra cautious about about it yeah <laughs> like he was swinging going really slow and he would like he would come down for a downswing but then he would like stop for a second because someone was supposed to grab him and they're like i think they were just being careful because they 
can afford a fake axe. Yeah. Oh, you know what's funny, though, is I do appreciate the very end, though. I, like I said, like Jenny Curtis, when she finds out it's her brother and she's truly broken up, I believe it. But also, he dies in an unusual way for this genre. Usually it's a big ending. They got to like, gore him and slice him up. They take off his head. No, he just takes a brutal smack to the head. He splits his skull open, and he just kind of lays there. <laughs> and I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, he also got electrocuted. but that Did he? Oh, I forgot about that. Much. Yeah, that was weird. I feel bad for the guy who had to be decapitated and then put in that little walkway. Like, he had to be under the oh, walkway. They uh, had to build it around his head. <laughs> he, okay, so, like, I've made uh, shorts horror films before. Just, like, little dinky ones with my friends. But I did do uh, something like that where I just had, like, my friend kind of perched in the position and, you know, did, like, a, a thing with the camera to make it look like he was decapitated. And just like continuously squirting fake blood on the back <laughs> of his neck, and he was pissed after like five minutes. I can't imagine what that guy had to go. Oh yeah, uh, well he's also getting paid, so that's the big difference. I'll tolerate some serious shit if I'm getting paid. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I don't even think I bought lunch for my friend that day. You <laughs> <laughs> <My> bastard! <laughs> How much does a cup of ramen cost? <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Dude, I, I literally spent my entire budget on a fake mustache, so... Oh, <laughs> okay, that's impressive. I shoot short films all the time. I don't even bother to get any props whatsoever, so... <laughs> well, because my friend is clean, is like doesn't really grow a good mustache. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think he does now. But back then, he certainly didn't. So I like wanted a real pedo stash vibe going on. Yeah. I wanted to make this character as creepy as possible. Uh, so yeah, I spent all of that all of the budget on a fake mustache and some spirit gum. <laughs> Alright, so that is the end of this episode Now, I have a big announcement to make And I apologize Video Fright, for reasons I'm not going to go into Will not be a series But, our regular show, Hit Rewind Which comes out almost daily now um, We will be adding new segments to it And that's where you and I will discuss horror movies We're going to go back to the double features That gives us a little more wiggle room of what we want to pick and also we're going to still try to do chronological but like say an actor dies or something a big event or or a remake comes up we can just jump ahead and do those yeah absolutely so that is it Kersey thank you like we said we're not done we're just going to be moving where the show will be and that I think also it helps with the pressure sometimes I feel like I got to get an episode of Video Fright out now I got to do it now 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 yeah and it certainly puts pressure off me because I always feel like shit because like I gotta watch. All I gotta do is watch two movies, and I could do it in a week. And then just for some reason, like all of a sudden, like oh shit, it's been three weeks, and I haven't watched one yet. Yeah. So well, since with retail back. coming up, I'm not gonna be able to do much during November, December because I'm just gonna be fucking exhausted. And I don't know what. Yeah. Where did that accent come from? Fucking exhausted, man. I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Plus, you always have, you have like a, I don't know, how do you explain? It's like a medical field kind of thing, but it's based on assignment, and so you never know what you're going to be doing? Or is it consistent? No, it, it's consistent. Oh, okay. uh, I just work, uh, yeah, with um, with people that are of, uh, un- I guess we'll say, underprivileged uh, uh, members of society. Or yes. a vulnerable population, I guess, would be a more accurate way of putting it. You, uh, you have a noble profession. I'm just a brain-dead monkey who just tosses things at people. <laughs> I wish I could throw Dude, my job is, is My job is so easy most of the time. It's I feel bad sometimes. 
It's like when you have like a good rapport with the people you work with. Yeah. It doesn't feel like I'm working at all. See, I really don't. I'm a wise ass, rambunctious, wear your fucking mask or I'm going to jump on you like a wolverine. That's the attitude I have. Oh, these I got I gotta, I gotta do that with them too, but like they, they know by now. <laughs> yeah. Well, these are strangers. These are, well, I, we have, I work at a store that's more rednecky, and so these guys think it's all a conspiracy that's bullshit, and that they, that we've been threatened to be shot. They threatened to burn the building down. Yeah, and then the people who just flat out don't listen, they won't leave, and then we've had to call the cops, and it's just, it's terrible. Yeah, see, I feel like you guys are, like, the real essential workers. Like, that <sighs> shit fucking sucks, yeah. dude. I'll like, see you buy your when... ammo. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like well, when the whole thing, like, first started for where I was working at, there was, like, a sense of stability because I was, like, at their home, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, they had all their, like, immediate needs taken care of. So, like, they were concerned, but it wasn't, like, they're going, you know, they're going mad over, over stuff. But, like, what you guys have to deal with, like, and there's also this, di- this, this different kind of situation because they're there to, like, buy shit from you guys. There's, like, this expectation that you just give them what they want. Yeah, yeah. So, kids, what we're trying to say is watch horror movies. They're better than the real world right now. Yeah, and don't be dicks, okay? If you, if you fucking, dude, I have more respect for, like, pizza delivery drivers than pretty much any politician I've ever seen or heard, so. <laughs> also, there's no such thing I, as Horrorgate. I don't want to fucking see this again. Someone on Twitter said, uh, what horror movie would you t- uh, ask a person about if you want to see if they were a real horror fan? And I'm like, fuck you. Oh, come on. Yeah, there's no real it's, horror it's fan. For anybody. Yeah, it's so stupid. My sister only really likes the horror movies that have a lighter touch or, or something wild and crazy about them. That doesn't make her not a horror fan because she don't want to sit through Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She might sit through part two, though, because it is crazy. <laughs> that is the best one, though. So it kind of is. I like three as well, but um, all of a sudden I'm seeing everybody uh, clamor about part four, so I'm going to be eventually I might watch it. It does have Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, so that's kind of interesting. Oh, shit. Is that the one uh, where the guy shoots through the window with a machine gun? I, no, I've never seen it. I don't know. Oh, shit. I can't remember if that's the third or fourth one. All right. So the next ones we're discussing, I can't remember. It's Death Ship and something else. What the hell was it? I can't remember. But, oh, Fade to Black. Fade to Black, which just got announced for a Blu-ray. So hopefully I can find it. If we can, we'll find a substitute movie. Ooh, you know what would go well together? Fuck that. We'll save Fade to Black later. What about Ghost Ship and Death Ship? Oh, boy. Were they both 81? No, I'm talking Ghost Ship from 2002 or four or something like that. You know, the updated one with, uh, um, you know, produced by Joel Silver and it has, like, tons of gore. Where the people get sliced in half with the thing? Yeah, dude. Okay. I, I know of it only because, and this is this is stupid because, you know, like, I'm pretty young compared to... Uh, I'm an old man. I got to put my teeth in. Shut up. <laughs> but I I remember being a kid. And I know that movie only because the VHS was uh, was holographic, and it was like a, a giant ship, and then you like turn it or whatever, and then it becomes a skull on the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm looking at it right now. You're right. It does. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll figure something out to go with Ghost Ship. I want to say Fade to Black for something else because that seems like it would go well with like I don't know Nine Seven Six Evil maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, you don't? You do not know what nine seven six evil is? <gasps> no. Oh my god. Okay, have you that seen Fright so Night? Weird. Uh, of course, I love Fright Night. Okay, so Evil Eddie. Eddie. I've even seen the sequel. Okay, so Evil Eddie yeah. was supposed to be the villain in Fright Night too. 
But yeah, he decided to take 976 Evil, which is the only movie that Robert England has ever directed. And it's about a guy wow. who dials a 976 number to get special powers. And he taps in. He basically gets possessed by a demon. And then he uses those to get revenge on his bullies. It's fucking Looney Tunes. And there's a sequel! What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have so. I did it again. Awesome. Oh, it's so awesome. We're, <laughs> apparently, I'm from New York. <laughs> um, See, this is why... I- of horror as a genre because there is no bottom and that just like has like so much room for creativity and fun well yeah i also love it when it's just don't have of the moment 976 numbers were crazy popular in the late 80s so it just took advantage of that fad and it's not even a thing anymore so it's like a weird archive of a trend that was going on Sweet, I'm, I'm totally excited. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this because we forced ourselves to watch some really shitty movies on Trash Cinema. So this, I think, is going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. All right, everybody, we don't have a catchphrase. We can't see stay, stay trashy anymore. Oh, fuck. How are we oh, going to end this? Uh, listen, listen to us or die. <laughs> okay, that's a horror. But <laughs> we're going to jail. You so put me on this spot, okay? Okay, that's we'll go with we'll something better. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night.